0: And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withheld forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the marks of the nails, and place my finger into the marks of the nails, And place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand and place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord.
1: How many of you were here on Easter Sunday morning? Did you come to one of our church services on Easter Sunday morning to see you? Okay, good. Well, you may recall that on Easter Sunday morning, I actually spoke from the first portion of this text when Jesus appeared to the disciples in the upper room. So this morning, I'm going to mostly skip that section and invite you, if you want to hear that message about that text on the early part of this story, to listen to it on the website. We actually record our messages here at Ecclesia, and we don't always, but we try to post them on our website or available on iTunes. And if you want to hear that message about uh, Jesus and how he came into that closed-up room when these people who had experienced resurrection were living locked up because they hadn't realized what Jesus had brought for them, Feel free to listen to that. Um, But that story parallels real closely the story which follows it. We have two resurrection appearances, one which occurred on the night of Jesus' resurrection. That was the first part that Cheryl read for you. And then the second part, um, which is the the appearance with Thomas. So the point of this is really to get us to the appearance of Thomas. So we're going to talk about that mostly today. Uh, One of the things I do each week is I try to listen to some of these messages as I speak them and wonder if I'm doing a good job or not. It's always kind of weird to hear yourself talk, you know. And, uh, and so this week, of course, I was remembering when Mary came in last week's message earlier this week, when Mary came and found that empty tomb, Mary Magdalene, who was the very first person to see Jesus. And we talked about that. Mary was an example in her, in her weeping and her worshiping and her witnessing. And I talked, if some of you were here last week, about the fact that Jesus meets us where we weep. And I, was think, I talked last week about the difficult times that we often go through, not knowing that this coming Wednesday, that coming Wednesday, I would receive the same kind of phone call I had said that you guys sometimes receive. Guess what? Your dad is not doing well. He just had a stroke. And at that moment, everything changed. Whatever I had to do, you know how some of you can remember moments like that. Everything changed. Whatever was important was less important. My brother and I, he lives in the Phoenix area, and we and our wives, we quickly that afternoon went down there to see because they had said that my dad had the stroke and he had... had kind of lost the ability to communicate, they didn't know what had happened, and it was frightening. It was really surprising to me to hear this. I mean, my dad had had some carotid artery surgery done a while ago to clear up blockages. When you have surgeries like this, you assume, okay, then everything will be fine, right? They didn't know about the one at the back of the base of the brain, and that's what's so difficult about this stroke, because that has occurred back at the base of the brain, and they thought they could uh, operate on it, and they realized that because of the, well, various things, they couldn't operate on it. So the only way that that blockage will ever get fixed is if he lives long enough for the body to take care of it by itself. So that was very difficult. It's strange to me to hear that because my dad's always so active and athletic. In fact, just a month ago in June, he's 76 years old, in June, uh, he was so proud. He went, one of the things my dad has been doing in the last 12 or 15 years is he has been essentially the primary dad to his wife's grandson. They've had custody. So he's been raising a family of a boy who's 18 years old now, just graduated. They had a senior trip, and... Uh, and they went up to Zion National Park. Have any of you ever been to Zion National Park? They went up to Zion, only one of you? That's a beautiful, okay, yeah, I know. Don't make me raise my hand. I just want to sit and pretend. I don't. <laughs> uh, it's beautiful. We were there years ago. And are you? Are any of you f- familiar with the the trail called Angels Landing Trail? Yeah. I, I, in fact, I think I was talking to Amanda about that. Yeah. Well, my dad was so proud, and Tom, his grandson, uh, step grandson, was so proud because he went with the dads on this senior trip after they graduated up to Zion with the other boys in his school, and the dads went up there. And a lot of the. And of course, my dad wasn't really the dad. He was the grand Dad, 76 years old, he climbed that whole trail all by himself, all the way up and all the way down. I have never done it, but I hear it's pretty frightening and scary kind of thing. That was just a month ago. And so this is just a month ago. And, uh, you know, just before that, he had been singing this song, 76, trombones let the big parade, because he's 76. That's, you know, that's my dad. Um, Silly little songs. I get that sort of thing from him. Um, And then now, you know, so hard, so hard to go and to see him just lying there and you know he can see if someone opens his eyes and uh, he's obviously hearing what's going on and uh, we just don't know what the future will hold you know so jesus is with has been with us as we've been weeping and i just want to say to you that i believe that this gospel is true with all of my heart and i believe it more when times are tough not less It's more real when times are hardest. And I am so grateful and thankful for that. I believe in Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, and I give that to you as a witness because that is the point of this book we've been looking at since October. If you're new among us, we study the book of the Bible just straight through. We're in the Gospel of John. We're in the 20th chapter. We've started in October, and we're almost done with this book, and we are actually today in the climactic section of the whole book. We're in the the final section. There's an epilogue that will follow this. It's an important epilogue in the 21st chapter. But here is is the point towards which John has been moving since he first started this story. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He's told us this story because he wants us to believe in this Jesus Christ. Brian, if you will go back uh, uh, backwards, and I want them to see—no, backwards, not forwards, backwards. Um, all right. All right. And this verse that was read for you is the theme verse of John. It is the climax of John. It is the text that we quote various times. John says, now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Hang out with this verse for a second for me, Brian. This is the theme verse. He doesn't get to to the very end. He says there are many other signs which I could have, that he did. If you remember, have been with us, we've looked at seven signs as John's taken us through. The sign of the turning of the water and the wine, the sign of the healing of no woman's son, the various different signs. The sign of healing the man by the pool. All these signs are pointing to this fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that you would believe and that by believing, you would have life in his name. The whole point of this book has been to get his readers to believe in Jesus. And so I want to say to you, as we come near the end of this, do you believe in Jesus? Do you know what it means to believe in Jesus? Do you know how important it is to believe in Jesus? Do you know how to come to believe in Jesus? Are you able to say, I believe in Jesus? Because if you believe in Jesus, it says you will have life in his name. And that life does not just mean that someday if you make it through this veil of tears, you'll get a a present at the end, you know, eternal life. No, John is not trying to say that. He's saying that when Jesus was raised from the dead, new life came into the world today. Like Michael J. Fox, when he went from 1985 to 1955 in Back to the Future. Do you remember that? The future came back into the the present, and there was someone from the future. And so what we have with the resurrection of Jesus is the future reality began to occur in the presence of Jesus. So the life that we have is not simply a life we will get someday by living in some kind of disembodied universe, but rather uh, we'll have a life like Jesus had a living reality, a resurrected body on a renewed planet. And that is while that is future, it becomes a present reality so that God wants to make us like new creation in this broken world to help remake this world, to look like heaven even while we're here. That's what happens when we believe in Him. The things of death can pass away so that the things of life can Emerged. This is, as I said, the climax of John's gospel. And he, you know, he says, I could have told you many things, but I told you these things because this was where I was going. So John has left out a lot of information, a lot of information but he's put this in so we would believe, and he kept his favorite story for last. He kept his best story for last, and that's the story which Cheryl read for you. It's the story of Thomas. Poor Thomas. He gets such a bad reputation, and yet I think John sees Thomas as the hero the human hero of this story. He comes through and he says Thomas is an example of believing in Jesus. And so we want to see some things about belief. So you can go on to the first one. We want to see, first of all, the importance of belief in John. And by the way, this is a famous painting by Caravaggio in 1601 called The Incredulity of St. Thomas. I thought it was just quite a graphic image, and I wanted to use that as our backdrop today. want to see, first of all, the importance of belief in John, do you see how how much um, uh, how much this story revolves around belief? He's already appeared to the disciples, and then they say to him, verse twenty-four. They say, "We have." Verse twenty-five. We have seen the Lord. They say to Thomas, but he says, "Unless I see his hands in his hands, the mark of the nails, place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never what believe." Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came in and stood among them and said, "Peace be with you." Then he said to Thomas, "Put your finger here and see my hands, and pour out your hand and place it in my put out your hand and place it in my sign. Do not what disbelieve, but believe." Thomas answered him, "My Lord and my God." Jesus said to him, Have you believed, see the word believed again? Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So you want to see that John wants you and me to believe in Jesus. What do we mean by believe in Jesus? Do we mean merely mental assent? Like, I believe he existed. In fact, I was having a conversation... Just this week with someone lots of spiritual conversations happen when you're hanging around hospitals and uh, and they were found out who I was and they said, "Well, you know there were a lot of people who were crucified in the first century, and there's a lot of guys named Jesus what's so special about Jesus? You see well, this is a person who believes there is a person named Jesus but doesn't really believe to Jesus. what does it mean to Believe in Jesus. It's so important in John that we believe. Basically, to believe is to every one of you is believing in something right now. And you know what you're believing in? The chair that you're sitting in. You're not believing. Do you believe in this chair that I'm holding? Yes. Do you believe it's strong? Yes. Do you believe it would hold you? Yes. Do you believe it exists? I think you probably do when John is not saying any of those things when he's talking about belief. He's talking about the personal belief that you have in that chair that you're sitting in. I trust, I know it, I believe it would hold me up, but it's not holding me up, and now I believe in this chair. Have you made a decision to place your trust and rest in Jesus? Is Jesus like this chair for you? You look at him, you admire him, you enjoy his teachings, you think he had a lot of good things to say, you think it's probably true what they say is true about him, but you haven't yet taken the risk of stopping to trust in the thing you're trusting in, and instead trusting in the finished work of Jesus who gave his life for you. John says, the critical issue of life is to believe in Jesus. Well, let's talk secondly then about the object of belief, the object of belief. One of the real mistakes that we make is we think that the critical thing is to believe in the teachings of Jesus. There are many people who believe in the teachings of Jesus, who believe that what Jesus said was true, that we what happened to Jesus really did happen to Jesus. But no, we are to believe in the gospel of Jesus, the person of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, to place our faith in Jesus and his resurrection. The critical issue here is that Jesus needs to know that the disciples really believe that Jesus is raised from the dead. No, Thomas didn't just miss the appearance, he also missed the commissioning of the disciples. Remember, Jesus came to them, he gave them peace, uh, and he sent them on a mission to tell, and he says, uh, uh, to, to go, and as the Father has sent me, so send I you. Thomas was one of the 12, but he had missed that commission. He needed to be in the presence of Jesus because these disciples and the others around them would be the witnesses. They needed to be absolutely sure of the resurrection of Jesus. You see, the object of our belief is not in the teachings of Jesus, but in the person of Jesus. And there, Jesus is a deeply admired person in our culture, certainly. Uh, he's admired like a lot of other great teachers. But if you simply believe in the teachings of Jesus, you are not a Christian. I hate to tell you this, but you are not. You become a follower of Jesus when you place your faith in the person of Jesus and trust in him. Believe that he was God, that he was the Christ, the son of the living God, that he was raised from the dead, to place your confidence in him. The object of our belief is in Jesus. See, the gospel is not the teachings of Jesus, but the good news. The word gospel means good news. It's a good story, a good spell. If, a, if I weave a spell, you remember that old-fashioned word, I tell you a story? That's where the word gospel comes. It's a good story. And it's a story about Jesus who died for us and raised for us. We need to believe that good news, okay? That's the object of our belief. Let's talk thirdly then about the essence of our belief the essence of our belief. What I love about this is Thomas comes in there, and when he sees Jesus, he, um, he, he bows before him, and he says, my Lord and my God. And there's two things to see about this in terms of the essence of Paul's belief, or Thomas's belief. First of all, it was objective. It was about certain truths. He believed certain things to be true. You are my Lord. You are God. He saw him as the Lord and the God. He believed the truth of the resurrection. He said, I will not believe unless I put my hands in his side and feel the nails in his hand. And when he saw that, we don't even know if he actually did that. When he actually saw Jesus, I'm not sure he really needed to touch him, even though that picture shows him as if he did. The Bible doesn't tell us. Jesus invited Here it is. You can look. This is what you wanted. Here I am. And Thomas bows and he says, My Lord and my God. So it's objective. There are truths about Jesus. I believe in the resurrection, but it's also, secondly, personal. My Lord, my God. Not the Lord, the God. I believe that you are the Lord, yes, but he didn't just say that. You are my Lord and my God. This is the most positive affirmation of faith in Jesus that is found in all of the Gospels. Thomas, who's called often the Doubting Thomas, we use the phrase Doubting Thomas. He is the one who made the most ringing declaration of personal faith in the authority of of Jesus. He was the Lord. He was God. And he was his Lord. And he was his God. He bowed before him. He laid down his life to him. You see, our, the essence of our belief is, yes, we need to believe certain things about Jesus, but we also need to place our confidence directly in Jesus. And then the fourth thing that we can see in this text is the path towards belief, the, pass, the path towards belief. I think we see some hints in here uh, that, first of all, we see that the apostles were the ones who gave the witness about Jesus, and so we can listen to the witness of the apostles. This is why it's so important to study the scriptures. God speaks to us through the scriptures to read the scriptures. Don't just read about the scriptures. Read the witness of the scriptures. The New Testament basically was written either by apostles or people who studied under apostles. For example, um, the Gospel of Mark was written by Mark, who was not himself an apostle, but who was the assistant to Peter, according to very early tradition. So what we have in the Gospel of Mark is the witness of Peter presented through the person of Mark. You see, the apostles gave the teaching as the apostles began to die off. The teachings of the apostles were written down in these Gospels. We study these Gospels. We listen to the witness. We look at that, and if you do that regularly, you will be drawn to the person of Jesus. There's a second thing about the path here, and I think I see, I see the patience of Jesus in this story. Not just the witness of the apostles, but also the patience of Jesus. Notice Thomas had said, unless I see him, unless I touch him personally, I won't believe. He didn't say that to Jesus. He said that to the disciples, right? Thomas said that. But when Jesus comes to him, Jesus says, here, here are my hands. Just like, Thomas, I know what you're saying. <laughs> Wouldn't that be kind of weird? You know, I've read somebody say they knew what you said and you didn't know they knew they didn't know you'd ever said it that's what's going on for jesus jesus knew about thomas's search and he knows about yours some of you have wounds which have made it hard for you to believe in jesus and jesus comes to you and he says i know about your wounds will you believe in me still some of you have uh questions you don't you're thinking i don't understand and jesus says I know you've got questions, but will you believe in me? You see, some of you got um, uh, trauma that have happened and you need to come through your trauma. Jesus is patient with you just as he was with Thomas and his questions. And then the thing to me that's beautiful that we can't forget about this is that Jesus says, look at my wounds. Touch my wounds. And what's, amazing to me is that jesus still has those wounds today he's got you know the scar of those wounds when he got his resurrected body it came with the wounds isn't that beautiful that jesus remembers the pain that we feel think two things now think about the suffering he went through for you and that he was willing to do that he was willing to do that And then think, too, about the suffering that you go through and realize that Jesus has walked that path of suffering. As well, and so I think as we study the testimony of Scripture, as we listen to the I skipped the other, one, as we listen to the witness of other people as their experience with God, hanging out with people who've seen Jesus and, and who, with whom there's a relationship with Jesus, and as we see the patience of Jesus with us as we have questions where He accepts us where we are, and as we also see the wounds of Jesus, and then finally the living presence of Jesus that John that Thomas saw. seems to me that this is a path towards belief which John, Thomas had, which we also can have. Jesus appears before them, and he says to Thomas, you see me, or you believe in me because you've seen me, but I say to you also, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. John, of course, is writing this. This is probably the last gospel written uh, it's, probably, it's probably written between 60 or 80, maybe even 90 A.D., possibly when John is an older man. and he's, And there are not that many living witnesses like there were 50 years before. We don't know exactly about this. And I think John is letting us know that Jesus said way back then, you know, not everybody's going to get to see me personally, but blessed are those who believe in me even though they haven't yet seen me. Yeah, yeah, it's it's hard to stand in front of a hospital bed and to wonder what's next. It's hard. I don't want to minimize that. And uh, you know, our family's always been kind of a musical family, not not like the Von Trapp family, but just normal stuff, you know. And. Uh, and the especially in the first day when everything was so raw and we just didn't know it looked it seemed to us as if we were simply on a death watch those that first day that's what we that's what it felt to us like what we were on before we understood a little bit more um and somehow uh, my you know I have two brothers and a sister and we happened to be the only ones in the room at the time and and my dad always loved music. You know, he loved. He was not a musician himself. He always regretted the fact that he never had any. In fact, he bought a harmonica once. He wanted to learn to play the harmonica. You know, and he's one of the reasons uh, why probably a lot of us developed something of an interest in music. He wanted us to have what we what he hadn't had. And and I, all these songs kept running through our heads. And the four of us are just sort of sitting there, very quietly, trying to be respectful, singing. These songs, some of the songs that, you know, a lot of you will know. But there's one that really captured my imagination uh, as I was thinking about it because there was a song, I think it's called, I Know Whom I Have Believed, or I Believed, you know. It comes directly out of Second Timothy 1, 7. And my dad always loved it. And the text of it goes like this. I know not why God's wondrous grace to me he hath made known nor why unworthy Christ in love redeemed me for his own. And the chorus is directly from the scripture, but I know whom I have, I know whom I, yeah, I got it, just didn't want to come out right there. (laughs) I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Now I know it's, that's straight out of the Bible, and it's not believed in the Bible, but that's why it comes out in the in the tomb. But think about that. The Apostle Paul is writing this when he's in a jail cell. His days are numbered. He knows his date with destiny is close. And he says these words but I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. What's he saying? He's saying, I know the one in whom I've placed my confidence, and I'm persuaded that, all the, that he is able to keep my life, which I've committed to him against that day. What day? That final day, his last breathing day. And we, sung that, we sang that many times in church, but somehow it was, it was hard. And it was beautiful to stand there with my bro- with my two brothers and my sister and 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 hear her beautiful harmony alto voice come in. You know, I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded. We don't say, and we said, Dad, we don't know if this is that day or not, but we're glad that you know and we know in whom you have believed. But the key word about that is not. Is the, the key word is the word whom. It's not I know what I have believed. It is I know whom I have believed. That is a huge difference. There are a lot of people who think it's what one believes, but it's not. It's in whom one believes. The gospel is that God has done what is necessary for us. He came to us, and he offers us new life as we believe in him. And so I invite you, and I know this, is, this isn't normal church for us, but this is just the best I can offer you today. <laughs> Please. Place your trust in him. He is called the bridegroom. He has paid the bride price. He has offered you his name. What will you do as he's bowed before you? Will you respond to him? Place your life in him? Exchange your name for his? Will you be found in him, please respond in faith to Jesus. My dad lost his t- speech real quick, and it might come back at some point. Of course, who knows? But while it was still happening, and before we were there, we were talking to Donna. He one of the last things that she remembers him saying while he was there. In the, at first, you know, he asked her, "Is sorry." Is this permanent? He, he, you know, he can't, he can't really move, and, you know, he's very conscious, and he can't say any of this now, but this is, as a pyramid, is this permanent? You know, like, well, I, uh, it's just, is this permanent? Do you know what the answer is? Absolutely not. We will <laughs> receive renewed, glorious bodies whatever might be the case, state of our life at the end of this life. When Christ returns, he will give us glorious bodies. It's not the maladies of our life are not the story of our life. They're not permanent. I encourage you, place your faith in Jesus. Let's have prayer. Father, I'm thankful that we can know whom we have believed and be persuaded that he is able to keep that which we have committed unto him against that day. And I pray that you would hope that to be the case for each of us. As we observe the Lord's table today, may we be reminded of his wounds which were there to give us life. In Jesus' name, I pray. I know not why God's wondrous grace to me he hath made known, nor why unworthy Christ in love redeemed me for his own. But I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day.